This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. This segment is all about personal bankruptcy uh, in this province, in British Columbia. And it's all things that you probably didn't know. So if you've been researching bankruptcy in BC, you're going to find an overwhelming amount of information available, whether it's from the internet, your friends, your family, even financial advisors. But unfortunately, it's not all going to be true. A lot of people tend to make up their mind that bankruptcy is not for them simply because they've heard or read the wrong thing, or there's just such a stigma to it that you can't even conceive the idea. So to help clear up some of those misconceptions, Blair Manton's going to break down the five facts about bankruptcy that you may not know about, which I think is super cool, Blair, that you're doing mm-hmm. this. Yeah, happy to do so. So let's start with an overview of personal bankruptcy in this country. How does it work? Yeah, so thanks, Elena. I think, you know, for someone that's considering personal bankruptcy, the first thing to understand is that they're not alone. Um, you know, there's a huge number of circumstances that could lead to financial difficulties, um, you know, whether it's job loss, illness, divorce, or, you know, the global pandemic that, you know, we're, we're dealing with these days. Uh, but there's tens of thousands of individuals each year in Canada that file for bankruptcy or do a consumer proposal. You know, it's, ob- it's often in the range of 120 to 150,000 people. So that's not an insignificant portion of the population of Canada here. What bankruptcy is, it's a legal option. It's available to anyone who owes money and is not able to pay it. So the option to file bankruptcy is yours. There's no creditor that can prevent you from seeking protection. Um, and if the situation has left you unable to pay your debts, you've got the right to get a financial fresh start. Uh, when you file for personal bankruptcy in Canada, you don't work with a lawyer, you can't do it yourself, you have to sit down with a licensed insolvency trustee, and that would be Sands and Associates. So previously we were called the trustee in bankruptcy, and now we're called a licensed insolvency trustee just because we do do other things than bankruptcy. We do consumer proposals, we do a lot of credit counseling and informal advice and things like that. You know, a lot of people think bankruptcy is going to take you seven years and it's going to impact you for the rest of your life. We're going to talk about today how those are, are false assumptions and the bankruptcy is often quicker, uh, necessary way to move forward, and it puts you on a good track for the future. And the fact that you mentioned uh, a lawyer can't do it for you, and you, you also don't have to see a lawyer in order to start the process. That's right. Now, anybody can see a lawyer anytime they want for advice, but for the vast majority of people, they just come straight to a trustee. Uh, a trustee will give them all the advice that they need and help them make the decision to file for bankruptcy. So if you're ever traveling in the States, you see a ton of bankruptcy lawyer advertisements. If you wonder why you don't see them in Canada, it's because essentially a trustee plays that role. Okay. So um, how much debt do you need to have before you can even think about declaring bankruptcy? This is an interesting one, Elaine. It's a thousand dollars. So it's a minimum of a thousand dollars, which is not a big number, right? No, it's not. 
And that hasn't changed since about the Great Depression. So when the bankruptcy laws were written, you know, way back in the 1930s or so, $1,000 was pretty significant. What would that be? You know, $15,000, $20,000 today. Uh, but they haven't updated that. Now, is anybody filing bankruptcy when they owe $1,000? Nobody I've ever seen. Um, and I would probably counsel them away from doing so. But in some situations, you know, a $5,000 debt can be as unmanageable as a $75,000 debt, depending on the personal situation and how much that's impacted the individual. So it's exactly. a minimum of $1,000. It's theoretically unlimited. You know, I've had people go bankrupt owing millions of dollars. Most yeah. often it's in the range of, you know, forty dollars to $60,000, but uh, the strict minimum is just $1,000. Now, does everything, do all your debts get included in that bankruptcy? Well, not all, but I would say all that should be included, okay? And I'll explain what I mean by that. So the ones that yeah. are included, you know, first off, debts with Canada Revenue Agency. So whether it's income taxes or GST or source deductions or things like that, if you owe the government money, it can be dealt with in a bankruptcy. Uh, student loans as well, government-backed student loans. Uh, government wants you to try to, you know, make a good faith effort after you graduated for seven years to try to earn income. But if you're still experiencing hardship after seven years from when uh, you graduated your program or stopped studying, absolutely student loans can be included in a bankruptcy. Uh, MSP premiums can be included in a bankruptcy if you've got any of those uh, still hanging around from before they were eliminated. Uh, most of the other debts that you have, you know, even a debt due to gambling, even a personal debt, uh, you know, the debts that could be included are the ones, again, that kind of make sense. So a court-imposed fine. So if you're held accountable in court, uh, some damages are awarded against you, you can't go bankrupt on those damages typically. Uh, if okay. there's alimony and maintenance payments, uh, you know, you've got some support obligations you have to make for your family. Obviously, those can't be discharged in a bankruptcy either. And then general dishonesty. So if you owe money because you stole something or you obtained property through false pretenses, those can't be dealt with in a bankruptcy. So a bankruptcy, it's targeted at someone who is honest but unfortunate. So if, you know, general business dispute, you've been honest but unfortunate the whole time. If you go through a bankruptcy, you would be able to have the debt dealt with. If it's a business dispute where you're convicted of fraud, there's all these allegations you've committed a crime. If you go through a bankruptcy, that might not be discharged at the end. Okay. So the thing is, I know that a lot of people worry about how they're going to be penalized for claiming bankruptcy. And I guess it's a holdover from old stories and movies and just how, how the, you know, things we've been told and how we might have grown up knowing that. And that sometimes you, you, you're never going to recover from that. So recover from declaring bankruptcy. But that's, let's talk about the facts here because that's not necessarily true. Yeah, ex exactly right. So, you know, a lot of people, you know, I get calls all the time with people saying, well, how much money am I allowed to earn in bankruptcy? Is my income too high or too low uh, to file for bankruptcy? And, and, you know, the answer is there's no income cap in a bankruptcy. If you go into a bankruptcy, you can earn whatever income you choose to earn, um, but realize that while you're in the bankruptcy, the amount that you have to repay on the debt and the length of time that the bankruptcy is going to last for, uh, they're driven 100% by your income. They're not driven by the amount of the debt. And if someone has never been in bankruptcy, bankruptcy before, if they're considered low income, which for a single person is less than about two hundred about $2,200 per month take-home pay. If they're considered low income, bankruptcy runs for nine months. If they're not low income, bankruptcy runs for a year longer than that. So it's not the case that someone that's high income is going to be held into bankruptcy for five or 10 years to make it pay back all the debt. The worst case for someone who's never been bankrupt before is less than two years, 21 months. Um, and typically, if somebody has a very high income, they're going to look at other alternatives to a bankruptcy. Oftentimes, a consumer proposal where they make a, a deal to repay the debt or part of the debt without interest, you know, oftentimes that might cost them a similar amount or just a little bit more than a bankruptcy, but then the 
avoid the proceeding altogether, they make a repayment. So it's not the case if you've got high income, bankruptcy is not an option for you. It very well might be, uh, but often a proposal is a good option for you to consider too. Okay. Now, one of the other things that comes along with or with the idea of being bankrupt is that you lose everything. And mm-hmm. that's not the, that's not true either. Right. And that comes from, you know, the 30-second pop culture assumption of bankruptcy, which is, oh, my God, it's the end of your life. You're, you lose everything. You never recover and so on and so forth. And as soon as you start to peel back the layers, you realize that most people are generally in a better position to keep their assets after they filed a bankruptcy uh, than before. So what I mean by that is when you file for bankruptcy, there's a number of assets that are classified as exempt. And what that means is they don't count in the bankruptcy. And it just makes sense. You know, you need to give somebody a good base of assets to reestablish themselves, to move forward, to be a positive member of society. You know, if a tradesperson goes into bankruptcy and suddenly you take their tools from them, how do you expect that person to ever earn income again? You haven't solved the problem. You haven't done anything good here. So if someone files for bankruptcy, the exemptions that they're allowed to keep, uh, household items, so all the furniture, their personal effects worth up to a $4,000 value at a garage sale value, um, those are all exempt. So I've never once went to someone's house to start carting away their possessions. I wouldn't be doing that job if that was this job if it was part of that. So that just doesn't right. happen in Canada. Uh, you know, a vehicle or vehicle equity up to a $5,000 value. So if you finance the car, almost always you have less than $5,000 equity almost towards the end of that. And most people, if they've got a lot of debts, they're usually not driving, you know, a fully paid off brand new car here. It's usually financed or it's an older car. So a vehicle up to $5,000 or equity in that amount could be kept. Um, home equity is an interesting one. So people think, oh my God, if I go into bankruptcy, I'll automatically lose my house. Well, the answer is no. Depending on the amount of equity that you have, if you've just got a minimal amount of equity, you're allowed up to $12,000 as an equity exemption uh, before your house is even considered in a bankruptcy filing. Uh, And we've talked a lot about things like RRSPs, which are fully exempt. The only exception is if you've contributed a ton of money in the last 12 months before you file for bankruptcy. But most people, if they're having a debt problem, they stop contributing to their RRSPs. And the key thing is just not to pull any of that money out and and it stays fully exempt. And the last thing, as I mentioned, is your tools of the trade. So if someone files for bankruptcy, whatever tools they need to earn income, up to a reasonable value of $10,000 at a liquidation cost, um, those are, are also allowed to be retained. Now, the other thing, too, I, I added onto that list, which I think is super interesting, is that uh, certain life insurance policies and nearly our, all pension plans are also protected. That's right. Yeah. So just about every pension, well, I guess every pension plan that I've ever seen, I haven't seen one that's not, is fully protected. So if you've got a pension plan and you're worried about filing for bankruptcy, don't be. You know, that could never be taken from you. Uh, With life insurance, it all matters who is the beneficiary. And if you had any sort of advice at all from an insurance agent, they would say typically don't make your estate the beneficiary, make it the family member who you really want to get the money. So if it's a spouse, a parent, a grandparent, or a child, if any of those are your beneficiaries and you've got a really valuable life insurance policy, If you filed for bankruptcy, you would keep that policy with no issues. And I think one of the pieces about, uh, you know, filing for bankruptcy is that, you know, you'll never that the the value of you as a, a human being contributing to the planet in any way will forever be damaged. Um, but that's not true. And, and the same can be said about your credit. Like y- you will be able to sort of continue on in a life that resembles the one you had before the bankruptcy. Yeah, and Elaine, this is one that, that really frustrates me, this myth and this misconception. And I see it put out there sometimes by, you know, financial advisors or credit counselors or people who really should know better. And they counsel people about the lifelong impact of bankruptcy. 
Okay. The lifelong impact of bankruptcy. I have not had a single client in 13 years of being a trustee uh, ever call me and talk to me about this long-term impact of filing for bankruptcy. It's quite the opposite. I have people call me pretty regularly saying I was discharged three or four years ago because I could eliminate all the debt, because I could rebuild my credit. Now I'm getting a mortgage because I was able to save a down payment. So quite often where people are scared of taking the step of a bankruptcy because they're worried about how it's going to impact their future, all they do is tread water. They keep a good credit rating, but they're just paying minimums on debts that don't go down and they're unable to save any money. And if the goal of a credit rating is to eventually allow you to get a mortgage, you need the down payment first. So if your debts are stopping you from saving money, bankruptcy is going to be the best thing you could do or or a consumer proposal, but eliminating your debts is going to be the best thing you could do to enable you to actually have that financial success later in life to get that mortgage. And it's absolutely not the case that you couldn't be considered for a mortgage after a bankruptcy. Generally, two to three years after a discharge, you could be considered for a mortgage with no crazy risk premium. You'd be the same as a typical other consumer and you'd be better off than when you started because you've got no debt, you've dealt with it, um, and now you've rebuilt your credit. So uh, it's not the lifelong impact. It's actually, it's a very much, it's a much more positive way to look towards the future after you finish the bankruptcy. Yeah. So in wrapping this segment up, I just want to remind folks um, about your website. It's just so great. It's the, the address is sans-trustee.com. And when I say it's chock-a-block, it is filled with great questions and great answers. So it, there's lots of stuff that we are unable to cover in every segment that we do. This is a great resource for you to go to. Or you can give them a call at 1-800-661-3030. Visit their website, get the appointment, and start to take some good action. You know, I'm, if, if you're not sure what a licensed insolvency trustee does and who they are, this is a perfect segment for you. Um, tens of thousands of Canadians get help on a regular basis, annual basis. Lots of people, though, still don't know what a licensed insolvency trustee is. So we are so fortunate that Blair, who happens to be Senior Vice President of Sands and Associates and a licensed insolvency trustee, is going to explain what exactly he does and how he can help you uh, if you're wanting a plan to get out of debt. Hey, Blair. Hello, Elaine. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. So let's, good. can we just start with the basics of uh, who uh, or what a licensed insolvency trustee is and, and how you're different from everyone else? Certainly. And, and it's a question I'm really happy to answer. I think if anyone's listening and, and you know, feeling a bit self-conscious, I don't know what a, this licensed insolvency trustee thing is, I, would, I wouldn't feel that way because I am a trustee. And until I started the process of becoming one, I hadn't really heard about this, um, this type of a professional either. And I think it's upwards of, you know, 70% of people in Canada, they've got a really uh, either a base, you know, very surface level understanding of how a bankruptcy or a proposal works. And it's probably even higher than that, of uh, people knowing who the actual professional is that would help you through a proceeding like that. So what a licensed insolvency trustee is, is previously we were known as bankruptcy trustees or trustees in bankruptcy. So the term licensed insolvency trustee didn't even exist prior to 2017. So you might have heard of trustees in bankruptcy or things like that. It's essentially the same thing. The government changed uh, the nomenclature or the name here just to make it more clear that trustees in bankruptcy or licensed insolvency trustees do a whole lot more than just administer bankruptcy proceedings. There's about a thousand trustees in Canada and they're the only professionals endorsed by the federal government to legally help you with your debt. Okay, now I know that this question uh, isn't on these specific notes, but what kind of education does one have to have to become a, a licensed insolvency trustee? 
Yeah, that's a great question, Elaine. So of the thousand trustees uh, that are in Canada, the vast majority of them uh, are chartered professional accountants or CPAs as well. Um, so generally, there's at least one other professional designation a trustee would have. Uh, myself, I'm not a CPA, but I'm a certified management consultant or a CMC. So most trustees have one other professional designation and also a university degree. So once you graduated from university, you've gotten your first designation generally. To become a trustee, uh, it takes between three to five years uh, of some self-study programs, some exams administered by the federal government on an annual basis where the pass rates are, are quite low because they're quite difficult. And then at the end of the whole proceeding, uh, you have to sit an oral exam uh, with a trustee, with a lawyer, with a judge, with a representative from the government, everybody grilling you essentially, because the powers that a trustee has, they're not trivial. They're, you know, they're the ability um, to give somebody their wages back if their wages are being seized. They're the ability to help somebody you know, get out from under, whether it's 10000 a 100000 or a million dollars of debt that might be holding them back. A trustee is the person that's going to help you legally navigate uh, the Canadian system to help you get a fresh start and turn things around. So it's really highly regulated. Your profession is very highly regulated. Absolutely. And that's a big factor on how LITs are different from other debt help professionals that you might see out there. Um, so there's a very long and rigorous course of study that I've mentioned. Um, and then also you've got extensive regulations from the superintendent of bankruptcy, um, standards of professional practice and codes of ethics. So for anybody out there um, who's not sure about what a trustee is or if you can trust them, well, it's right in the name, of course, but uh, aside from a flippant <laughs> joke there, uh, you know, you've got all the power of the Canadian government behind this empowered professional and you've got a regulatory body that if you did have a dispute there's the ability to have you know the dispute adjudicated to, to the satisfaction of all parties now and there's some things that you can do that nobody else can do and i know you've already sort of touched on that but specifically there's some mm -hmm. big differences yeah, I think a couple that are really important to highlight, Elaine, especially if somebody is listening and say, okay, well, so this trustee, what can a trustee do that somebody else can't? Well, right off the top, a trustee is the only person that can ever help you deal with government debt. So if there's debts such as income taxes to Canada Revenue Agency, student loans, federal or provincial, um, ICBC debts, those are the types of debts that, you know, no matter what, if you can't pay them in full, um, you're not going to be able to work out a deal with those creditors unless you're working through a trustee, either through making a proposal or filing for a personal bankruptcy. So it's really important if you have those types of debts that you come straight to a trustee because otherwise you're wasting time and money on a professional that just wouldn't be able to help you. Um, you know, another really key factor of why trustees are different and, you know, essentially why you should have some trust um, is that the fees and costs are strictly set by law. So everything you do with the trustee, um, you know, the initial consultation is always at no cost. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But whatever proceeding you do, if it's a bankruptcy or if it's a consumer proposal, the amounts that you pay are fully transparent. The fees are transparent. They're the same across Canada, all set by the government. So you really don't need to be worried about getting taken advantage of, which if you're dealing with consumer debt, you know, sometimes there is, um, you know, some, some people that are playing fast and loose with the rules and you find extra charges or things like that. You'll never find that with a trustee. So uh, I know that you, have, your organization, uh, Sands and Associates, as well as licensed insolvency trustees across the country, help tens, literally tens of thousands of people. Um, when or who are those people? What, when is the time for me to come and see you? Yeah, the quick answer, Elaine, is come see a trustee sooner than you think you should. Um, the heartbreaking part of my job is when people come to me for an initial consultation, 
they often tell me about the two years prior, and it's generally about two years, where they were suffering. They were anxious. They weren't sleeping. They weren't eating. You know, they were concerned about providing for their family, and they just didn't know where to reach out for help, or they thought there was no help available to them. So, you know, essentially, if you're concerned at all about your debts, or if you're just looking for a better way to manage them, there's no downside to connecting with a licensed insolvency trustee. Um, a trustee is impartial. They're going to review all of your debt options. And you know, even if you don't need a trustee's help, things aren't so severe that you need to do a proposal or, or even a bankruptcy. You're going to walk away knowing a whole lot more than when you walked in the door, pretty well guaranteed. And that could also give you the help, uh, or sorry, give you the ability to help others who are in your life who might be having difficulty with money. So there's no need to wait until your situation has reached such a critical point. You know, the wolf's at the door, um, you know, your wages are being seized. Of course, if that's happening, you should be reaching out to a trustee. But if you just have some general discomfort, um, some anxiety, you're looking at your bills every month, you're paying the minimums, but you know the next 50 years are going to look a lot the same because the debts aren't going down, um, that's when it's time to reach out for a free debt consultation to sit down with the trustee. Okay, so thanks for saying that word free, because that was my next question. What's it going to cost? Yeah, and, that, and that's something that should be crystal clear in consumers' mind. You will never get an invoice for a fee for service for a trustee. You know, it's not the case you pick up the phone and call a trustee and the clock is running at, you know, a few hundred dollars an hour or whatever a lawyer might charge. It's not that way. So uh, generally, if someone reaches out to a trustee, the first consultation is always free. Uh, at Sands & Associates, typically there's at least three consultations before we're making a formal filing because we want to give you the chance all your questions are answered, get all the correct information so when we're preparing documents, they're completely accurate. And at no point are you paying for any of that professional assistance. So if someone I've met with three or four times and, you know, given a lot of professional insight and helped them figure out, you know what, the best option for you is to try to get a consolidation loan or to adjust your budget or to try to negotiate informally with your creditors. They won't pay me a penny for that advice. And I'm fine with that. The vast majority of people that come in to see us, we can provide them with some excellent information, direct them to resources. And the few that do need to file a consumer proposal or a personal bankruptcy, uh, the fees paid as part of that, they basically cover the entire operations and allow us to provide a free service even to those who don't need our services. Well, so let's say um, I'm just in a position where I'm, I'm starting to think about taking some kind of action. What are the kinds of things that I need to keep in mind if I'm starting to research uh, to get some help with my debt? Those are great questions, Elaine, and, and it's it's definitely the case this is a bit of a murky area, especially if you start to research online. You'll see there's a ton of individuals that claim to be able to help you with your debts, and some of them will actively say, you know, don't go see a trustee, come to see us first. So I think it is important that you have a bit of a lens, some criteria on how you're going to evaluate whether someone can actually help you get out of debt. Uh, you know, some key things to consider, you know, number one is licensing. We've talked about this a little bit, um, but you need to understand, even if someone has you know, a pretty good Better Business Bureau, that doesn't mean you're dealing with a properly licensed professional. You should ask them, are you, are you licensed by the federal government to help me get out of debt? And unless you're dealing with a trustee, the answer will be no. They might say, well, we've got some internal licensing or some, you know, uh, professional accreditation that all the credit counselors get together or something like that. But if there's no federal government license, that should start to raise your alarm bells a little bit saying, well, you know, what's my recourse here if things do go wrong? If this is just a self-regulating industry body of, you know, basically comprised of the members, um, you're not going to have the same protections as if someone is licensed by the federal government. So that's a great one to start off with is just to ask the person, are you licensed. Okay. You know, a second factor to consider is costs. 
So, you know, we've said pretty explicitly, you're never going to pay a fee to deal with the trustee until and unless you're executing on a formal proceeding to restructure the debt. But all the upfront advice, the consultations, the investigations, all that's going to be free to help you figure out your way forward. You may need to make sure you understand clearly if you're dealing uh, with someone who may or may not be a trustee, you know, what is the fee structure? You know, when am I going to be paying you and how much? Uh, you know, am I going to be paying you regardless of whether you're able to help me settle my debt or move forward? Or do you get paid only if you make a successful recovery on my debts? So there's a bunch of questions that you should be asking, but you know, the basic one is, well, how do you get paid and what's in it for you as the professional trying to help me, the person that's in debt? And not everybody will work with just anybody to help me either, right? That's exactly true, Elaine. So uh, as we mentioned a little bit previously, debts going to the government, whether it's ICBC, whether it's income taxes or student loans, those will never, and again, never is the operative word, will never reach a settlement with anybody other than a licensed insolvency trustee. So you know, if the majority of your problem is income taxes, student loans, ICBC, or things like that, you're essentially spinning your wheels if you're dealing with someone that's not a trustee because they won't have any ability to help you deal with those debts. What's also really important to realize when you're dealing with a trustee is a trustee has the power to bind creditors and essentially force them to take a deal, even if not everybody agrees. And this is really important, so I want to make sure I explain it clearly. If you're doing a consumer proposal, for example, and you've got some income tax debt, you've got some student loans, and you've got some credit card debt, let's say that the credit card companies really love the proposal that you've made. It's a reasonable settlement. They want to accept it. But income tax and student loans, they're not so sure they don't want you to pay more. The way a consumer proposal works is all we need to get on board is half of your debt, so 50% by dollar value, and then all of the other creditors are forced to participate in the same proposal settlement. So that's only something that a trustee can do if you're dealing informally with a debt counselor or an advisor or something like that. They need every creditor to agree individually. They can't protect you using the law. A trustee can protect you. All we need is 50% of your debts to agree to a plan, and the others are dragged along even if it's against their will. So I think the key is, and we're just gonna, I'm just going to wrap up this segment, Blair, and I know that we didn't touch on all the content. First of all, I want to mention that your website is terrific. It's got so much good information at sands-trustee.com. So if we didn't answer your question or I didn't answer your, ask your question in this segment, check out their website. It's chock-a-block full of great information. And the other thing is, if this information's resonating with you in any way, give them a call, 1-800-661-3030. That's Sands and Associates and get that free consultation and to find an office near you. So we're going to learn in this segment the facts about what can happen if you aren't able to pay your bills. Every day, Blair Manton at Sands and Associates and Sands and Associates at all of their offices throughout British Columbia help folks through challenges that have left them unable to pay or to make all their debt payments. And I know, Blair, that you understand the anxiety of not knowing what's going to come next. So it's such a good segment to get some facts about what can happen if you're not able to pay your debts and where you can get some help. So let's start off with talking about the situations do people generally find themselves in when they're coming to you for guidance about a debt problem. What are what are the what are some of the scenarios that people have? Well, it, it's part of what's so you know interesting, you know, kind of in quotations, interesting about the job is just every story is completely different. Um, you know, there's some hallmarks that are the same, but it's just so many unique individual circumstances. And it's almost always a situation where people were doing just fine. Uh, and then something happens, some external shock to the system that accumulated a little bit of debt, but they could make payments. But then suddenly someone got sick. 
or someone got injured or a job was lost or a whole economy had to shut down for a pandemic, for example, Hmm. or perhaps there was a relationship breakdown like a divorce or a separation. So any of those external shocks, you know, the best practice is that we should all have an emergency fund of at least three to six months of fixed expenses. But most people don't, unfortunately. So when there's a shock that can interrupt an income or really increase some expenses, a lot of people start to rely on credit. And oftentimes we can feel like, you know, we're alone completely. We're the only person that's facing the circumstances and maybe we've made some poor decisions that, you know, we deserve to suffer for. And, you know, the the right way to look at this is you're not alone at all. It's in fact in 2019, 4.6, just under five of every 1,000 Canadians in Canada filed for insolvency. So that might not sound like a lot, but a lot of people in Canada, and this adds up to you know, between 100 and 150,000 filings on an annual basis for either a bankruptcy or a proposal. So it's a lot of people that can find themselves in difficult situations, often due to no fault of their own and just some external situations that really com- uh, all came together to put them um, you know, unable to pay their debts as, as they go forward. Can you take us through some of the common things that can happen um, to someone if or to you if you're not able to make your debt payment on time? What what comes up first or is there something that comes up first versus second or is there do they all Mm -hmm. come up? Yeah, all of these might come up on various in various cases or sometimes just one or two. But, you know, one that we see quite often, this one I almost chuckle a little bit with black humor, is they, the first thing creditors often do when you can't pay your debts, they start to increase the price. They start to charge you more interest. So um, you start to lose often, you know, your preferred customer interest rate. And then suddenly you're at an increase in interest rate, which could be as much as 10% higher, sometimes taking you from 19% to 29%. Um, so, you know, that can just feel like, oh, my gosh, I'm having trouble, you know, meeting the obligation now and now my interest rate has increased well that's not good for anybody but that's often what creditors will do Um, continuing along this route and increasing in severity is if you start missing payments and you actually bank where you have a debt um, creditors can seize payments directly from your bank account this is what's known as the right of offset and sometimes it'll be timed you know right when you deposited your paycheck you expect to take out the money for your rent and you find it's all been seized because you owed whatever the bank is you owed their visa or their mastercard some money hadn't paid for a while and deep into your banking agreement and your cardholder agreement, they've got the right to offset your debts against the amount of assets you have with them, which can just cripple somebody at a very inopportune time. Uh, What's you know, your, yeah, other, I, I know you've got a great solution for that, too. I just wanted to sort of break in because this is really an, an important oh, point, I think, for folks. Yeah, and thank you for, for making me pause there, Lane, because it is really important. The best practice in every situation, I live by this myself, is do not borrow where you are. Keep your daily banking. So wherever you deposit your bank account, make that only your bank where you keep your money. Do all of your borrowing elsewhere. Now your bank is going to counsel you and say, "Well, no, keep everything under one roof. Um, you know, we'll give you better rates, so on and so forth." My experience is the risk of you giving them access to all of your assets. If you ever have to miss a payment, all your assets within the bank uh, is not going to be outweighed by whatever promotional uh, deals they might give you. So always keep your banking and your borrowing separate is the best practice I recommend to everybody. Uh, what, one of the other things that can happen is your account can be sent to a collection agency. And when this happens, essentially the bank has given up on the customer relationship. They're not going to worry about being nice anymore. They're going to call in the attack dog, so to speak, who may hound you, um, you know, from morning until night quite excessively. Uh, a lot of people can feel intimidated. And there are things you can do. You know, you can stop the phone calls just by sending a letter. We can tell you how to do all of that stuff. Um, but it doesn't solve the problem. Just stopping the phone calls. You still do owe the money. And then finally, creditors can threaten 
threaten and actually proceed with some legal action. They could try to seize your wages or try to seize some assets. If you had a real estate or a car with no loan, for example, some of those assets could be seized if, you, if you're delinquent on your debts and have been, have been sued. So if any of this sounds like a situation you're in or someone else is in, even similar to, and you want to take some action, I'll give you a couple of ideas. First of all, go to Sands and Associates website at sands-trustee.com. Uh, it's filled with some great information that may help you decide what to do next. You can easily set up an appointment by going to the website as well, or you can give them a call at 1-800-661-3030. And just a reminder, they've got offices all over British Columbia. So, Blair, can you talk a little bit more about what happens if a creditor does start legal action for an outstanding debt? Yes, yeah, certainly. So this is obviously a very scary situation for someone who's not, you know, working in the legal system all the time who sees this. But, you know, just about everybody who owes money and doesn't pay is going to be threatened with legal action. But it's a very small percentage where a creditor actually proceeds to sue the person. Uh, I've heard it as low as one in 100,000 or as high as one in 10,000. But it's definitely not the case just because you've been threatened. It means you will be taken to court. Odds are you probably won't be. But if you are being taken to court, a couple things to take solace in is, first off, a lawsuit takes a significant amount of time to proceed. So you have to be served with documents, you have to be given a few weeks to reply, then a trial date would be set. All of this time you have the ability to seek help, to figure out what you're going to do, um, you know, to work on your strategy. And if you come and see a licensed insolvency trustee, we can stop all those legal proceedings dead in their tracks so they can't proceed any further. Uh, now, where this can be, be quite immediate is if you're dealing with Canada Revenue Agency. So Canada Revenue Agency, because them being the government, they don't have to sue you to actually have the same remedies of seizing your assets and seizing your wages. So if you do owe money to the government, it isn't the case you can ignore and wait to be served with documents. Uh, you might find out just without much notice to you that assets or wages have been seized. So it, again, just really reinforces you want to get help from a trustee if it's the government you're dealing with and you're concerned you're not going to be able to meet your obligations. Now, this is where I, you know, you get to blow your horn as a licensed insolvency trustee because out of everybody, of everybody that you could go to, whether it be debt counseling or whatever, a licensed insolvency trustee, you're the only, the only group of, of Canadians who can deal with Canada Revenue Agency. That's correct, Elaine. It's full stop. If you've got a tax debt, the only person that's going to be able to help you pay less than that balance is a licensed insolvency trustee. Short of taking the government to court, spending a ton of legal fees, taking years and maybe losing, um, a trustee is the only person that's going to be able to make this debt uh, get down to an amount where you can pay it off, maybe even avoid a bankruptcy if you do a consumer proposal. Or if you do have to go into a bankruptcy, the tax debt would get discharged on that side as well. So a trustee is your way of getting out from under the burden of tax debt. And I want to throw in here, too, is that, you know, taking those big steps about uh, taking CRA on is one thing, but you can start a little bit smaller than that. You could go see somebody at Sands & Associates, sit down and say, this is my situation. What's the best thing for me to do at this point? Or how, should, how can this best be handled? Uh, and, and, and I just think that's such a good thing to do because you'll actually be able to help somebody or walk somebody through the process. 
And that's all we do every day, Elaine, is we have free initial consultations all across the province uh, with people that have a ton of questions. Um, they're generally good people trying to do the right thing, but we can all get a little bit confused with what's going on, who's right, the remedies, and what should I do? And that's what sitting down with a trustee is going to help you figure out how do you navigate um, this whole world, which most people don't have experience of being in debt and not being able to pay it. It's something you might face, you know, ideally never in your life, but usually the first time you're through it, um, you know, it's all brand new. So by getting help from a trustee, you're going to be sitting down with someone who sees this day in, day out, who's not here to judge, is here to give you a good plan to get you out of debt, avoid being sued for your debts, uh, and really get back in control. And the idea that going to see uh, a licensed insolvency trustee first before you begin to either take action or stop action or just sit back and wait for it all to happen, uh, it's just such a good idea to go and talk to somebody that can help you navigate through the situation. You're listening to oh, Dollars and Cents. Yeah, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you were going to agree. I figured you were probably going to agree. Oh, dear, that's funny. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. You heard Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. And, of course, Sands & Associates is helping you get out of debt. This segment's all, all about shopping around for a debt solution and all the different options that are out there these days. If you're looking for a debt solution to either help you pay off or write off a debt, there's a lot of th different things that you can consider. And Blair is such a great guy to talk about this. Talk about great tips and key points of consideration uh, if this is the situation that you're in. So before we get into the hows and the, the twos and the tips, Blair, can you talk a little bit about when it's a good idea for a person to consider getting more of a strategy or, or outside help uh, with their debt? Yeah, certainly, Elaine. So, you know, finances are obviously a really important component of our life, but sometimes it's the case, you know, you really don't evaluate things unless there's a big blinking red light right in front of you saying, you know, caution, danger, so on and so forth. And it's some, it's the case that, you know, you should periodically check in with your finances and just see how you're feeling on a regular basis. I would encourage, you know, at least every month or at least, you know, a few times a year just to sit down and look at where you're sitting uh, with your assets, your debts and your income on a monthly basis and try to think if you're experiencing things like you're feeling stressed, you're anxious, you're constantly thinking about your debt. So is debt starting to consume your day-to-day, -day, starting to take up a lot of your mental energy? Um, consider your credit score is it taking some hits now because you've got some large debts you know you're off near your credit limits um, or your debts are starting to exceed what would be an appropriate amount based on your income um, start to look at are you carrying some high risk debts and high risk would be things like a payday loan or a government debt payday loans are high risk because they're exceptionally expensive high interest costs and government debts are high risk because the government's got the strongest means of collecting at very little uh, notice to you so it's something you really can't ignore um, and then sometimes it's just the case of are you only able to make your minimum payments looking on the long term you realize all you're going to be doing is paying tons of interest on this debt and not being able to chase to save money or to actually bring the balances down over time and that's not the best thing for your overall financial health so you really need to think, am I feeling stressed about my debt? Is it taking up a lot of my energy? And do I have a clear roadmap that I can see to pay off the debts, you know, using exactly what I'm doing, my existing income without, you know, seeking to reduce the balances or do anything different? I love this next piece, Blair, just because, and you've said it before in other segments that we've done, that if you think you need help or it feels like you need help or suspect that you need, that you have a debt problem and you need some help, you probably do. And I just love that idea that you're empowering people to, to really take action and, 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 and think about their own situation and then get on it and then take some action and do something about it. 
Exactly. Yeah. If you, if you feel like you have a debt problem, you know, odds are you've had one for a while and, you know, now it's coming to the front of your mind. And, you know, if your creditors are threatening to take legal action against you, if you've got the government debt we're talking about, there's just a bunch of debts and you're not able to consolidate them all or you just don't feel confident, you know, all of those things would mean that you'd really benefit from coming in, sitting down with a licensed insolvency trustee. And the options we're going to explain to you are not going to include just the things a trustee can help you with. We're going to look at every potential option, which might include something as simple. Well, let's see if we can consolidate this debt together and I'll see if that's the best option for you. I like that you've got some key points on, on, what, on what you need to do to sort of take stock of your situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've got to be really careful when you research your options um, that you're really... You turn over all the stones, you look up who you're dealing with and, you know, what are their qualifications and be careful for high pressure sales tactics. So, you know, quite often the harder you're being pushed to sign something or move forward on something, the better deal it is for the person that's pushing you and the worse deal it is for you. Uh, you know, make sure you can actually afford any payments that you're agreeing to. So if you're going to do a debt consolidation, take out a new loan to pay everything off, you know, is that going to be affordable or are you just buying yourself an obligation you're not going to be able to satisfy? Um, and make sure you understand all the terms of your agreement. So if your strategy to get out of debt is you're going to consolidate debt but get a co-signer, well, realize now that you've made this debt problem, you've doubled it in size, and now there's two people that are involved in it. And if things don't go according to plan, you might be having a detriment impact on someone that, you know, just put their name forward to help you, never expecting they might be held accountable to pay off the consolidated debt. Yeah. The other thing I want to mention, too, is if if it sounds like we're already talking about you or someone you know very well and uh, you want to want to get some help or help them get some help, it's so easy to do. Just go to the website for Sands & Associates at sands-trustee.com and give them a call at 1-800-661-3030 and set up that first consultation and sit down and really look at your situation and what you can and what you can do about it. Blair, um, can you talk about the other points to be aware of when it comes to debt consolidation? Because I feel like that's kind of one of the first things that people uh, think about trying to do on their own, or is it? No, absolutely. Debt consolidation is almost the first point uh, where people start. And it makes sense. And what we mean by debt consolidation is instead of having five or six different creditors that you owe money to at different interest rates, you put it all together into one account. And you generally pay a reduced interest rate. In some cases, you pay no interest rate. So debt consolidation can take on a number of forms. What most people think about when they're talking about debt consolidation is a basic consolidation loan. And what that means is a bank or a credit union or a finance company, they provide you with the funds to pay off all of your other debts. And then now you owe that new company the combined balance, but hopefully at a lower interest rate. That's what most people think about. Now, you could also do a home equity consolidation loan, which is quite popular in BC these days, with a lot of people having a lot of equity. You can draw out some of the equity in your home, sometimes called taking a second mortgage. Um, Generally, it's going to be at a pretty low interest rate, and you use that money to pay off all the debt that's been consolidated together. Um, And then you could also do uh, what's considered a balance transfer, where if you've got a card that has a bunch of room on it, sometimes they'll give you a promotion. You can transfer rates over at a low rate, but be very aware there's often transaction costs. It can be one to even up to 3% of the total amount that you're transferring over. So, you know, make sure the numbers do make sense if you're going to be borrowing to do a consolidation. Now, the one thing that we haven't talked about in this segment uh, is the whole concept of being able to consolidate your your uh, debt without borrowing. And, and this is a great opportunity, mm-hmm. I think, to talk about that. 
Yeah, and that's what I think most people don't understand about debt consolidation is there's a lot of different ways to come at it and you don't have to borrow. So two ways that you can still consolidate your debt without borrowing. One is to consider working with a credit counselor. What they are generally able to do if it's standards, you know, credit cards, consumer debts, things like that with the major banks, they'll be able to consolidate your debts together save you all of the future interest and give you up to five years to pay off that balance in full. So it doesn't reduce your debts at all, but at least it stops you from getting further and further uh, behind the eight ball with the interest charges each month. But you are going to pay some fees on top of that. The fees could be upwards of 15 to even 30% of the amount that you're consolidating. So in, in lieu of interest, you are still going to pay some fees. Now, one of the best ways to consolidate debt without borrowing, and I know I'm biased as being a licensed insolvency trustee, but literally making people aware of consumer proposals is why I became a trustee, uh, because I just think it's such an outstanding um, option for people to consider. And with a consumer proposal, all your debts are consolidated together, but it's not a question of you paying back 100% of the debt plus interest. It's a question of what can you reasonably afford to repay. And quite often, that's in the range of 30 to 50 cents in the dollar, sometimes lower, sometimes higher, but it's almost always less than the full amount. And by law, you're not charged another dollar of interest. And also by law, all of the costs of that proceeding are borne by your creditors. You don't pay anything extra beyond what you can afford to repay on the debt. So it's just a huge difference. If someone had $20,000 and they tried to do a consolidation loan, they'd be paying about $635 a month for three years, and that would be at a 9% interest, which is pretty good for a consolidation loan. If they did a consumer proposal, so let's say they offered to pay off 40% of the debt, the monthly payment would be $220 over three years. So literally less than a third of what they would be paying um, if they had to do a borrowing consolidation. So a consumer proposal can be affordable, where other options just aren't affordable. And I, I got to say that the, the folks at Sands & Associates all over the province and all of their offices, so knowledgeable, and there, there's so many good uh, options for you in terms of how you go about looking after your debt situation. Uh, there's uh, financial counseling available. They'll sit down with you, go through everything, walk you through the process uh, in just a really thoughtful way. And uh, also, if you want to take a first step before doing that, and just go to their website and check out all the good information that's there. There's so many good questions and answers uh, that you can read through and, and may help you make that decision. It's sands-trustee.com, or you can give them a call, 1-800-661-3030, and get that first free consultation uh, and a sit-down and find an office uh, near you, regardless of where you are in British Columbia. Uh, chances are very good there's an office near you. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents. See you next time. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. <laughs> and Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.